Hello, and welcome to the Fearless Storyteller Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Freckleton. Have you ever noticed how fear stops us from creating and sharing our best work? Join the Fearless Storyteller as we explore the heart and soul of writing stories, songs, and scripts that sell with the people who write them. Each guest has their own unique hero's journey and insights into the intersections between limiting beliefs and success. But not at all afraid to say, you know what? I'll get to you when I get to you. Yeah. Like, I don't want to talk. Like, how cool. That that blew my mind. And I, I, was wondering about that and like if it's a learned behavior or mm. or uh something you have to be born with because i have real problems yeah you know saying exactly what i want and yeah. telling people exactly what i think you yeah. know what i mean i'm very I do. very I, do. I, I definitely have some of that in my journey um and i don't know how old you are but you know, hitting into my mid forties, you know, I've, I've had some chance to practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of those. Well, they say that, right? Like as you get older, you don't care as much what people think. And it's almost yeah. one of the nice things about getting old is that you can, yeah. I'm 36. So I guess I'm, I'm, Here I'm transitioning in into that. You're transitioning. Yeah. It's perfect time to be a parent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What? You want your diaper changed? You know what? You're not going to die. Sorry. Yeah. You'll be fine. I don't want to You'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they make them real absorbent these days. You know, they yeah, don't have to change them every time. Devices. It's good. Yeah. Sure. It is. The technology on those diapers is amazing. Like just even the, the, I mean, I just imagine like at Procter and Gamble or whatever, they've just got teams of scientists who like figured out how those flaps can stick, but mm-hmm. aren't tape, you yeah. know? Yeah. Like, why isn't all things like that? I mean, it's amazing how well, even if you have to re-flap them, yeah. they still work. Yeah. I'm like, this is like space technology. It is, yeah. But it's like, I've only seen it in diapers. Yeah. It's like the International Space Station could be built with diapers. Yeah, totally, totally. I bet most diaper technologies come from, like, you know how, like, they invented spam yeah. for space? It's probably yeah. like diapers must... A lot of advancement in diaper technology comes from space actually, That's actually going to be the first Mars colony. It's going to be Procter & Gamble. <laughs> right. It's going to be Huggyville. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. I should probably introduce you. Well, Andrew Slater, welcome to the Fearless Storyteller. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, you know, this is one of my canned questions here. I, I you know, this is where I say, you know, for people who don't know who you are, what would you like to share about yourself? Well, I'm a, a stand-up comedian, uh, new father, husband, living in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I've been doing comedy, you know, basically my whole adult life since college and had a million other little odd jobs uh, to support that until about 15 years ago when I was able to kind of be a full-time comic. And uh, yeah, been doing that ever since until this pandemic hit. Uh-huh. And I experimented with the odd jobs again <laughs> to yes. get by. But then, you know, like the things have been, I've kind of found a settling point now between virtual stuff and everything. So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you can give voice to, you know, I think it would be uncomfortable for creatives, you know, when we talk about being full time creatives and, you know, and it can be awkward to talk about the jobs we do. 
to get by yeah as if there's some stigma to that there is a stigma to it and i think that there's a weird pride in in never having to have done some sort of day job quote unquote and um you know a lot of the people you see bragging about such things have some other stream of revenue let's say whether it's family or spouse or you know they won the lottery or something you know so so there's like there's always some reason why i mean very it's i found that in my career it seems like every four years so far there's been some sort of panic that hits me and like mm. I pro- looking back, I probably could have gotten by without driving Lyft for those two months or, uh, working at Best Buy for those six weeks or whatever it was. Or, you know, this last time I did landscaping, Okay, uh, which I was just looking for something very, it was either that or work at Amazon. And I was like, I, the, working for the toothless guy who's all off the books and pays in cash was much more appealing to me. And working outside, you know, with the pandemic and everything. You, you know you're going to get the tip. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If there is a tip, then I'll, at least I'll get it. <laughs> there wasn't always a tip, let me put it that way. But then uh, I showed up. I'll tell a quick story. But the, um, I go, yeah. first time, first time going to this guy, Joe is his name. I won't say the name of the company because I already said he'd, it was all off the books. But yeah. he... Uh, I show up and I, you know, I used to work construction in college and, uh, I, you know, done a lot of like outdoorsy type projects, but never been like a professional landscaper before. So I kind of, when I called about the job, I sort of massaged that part of my history or whatever. And I show up and he's like, Hey, you know, they're, they were going to be doing uh, laying down sod, you know, okay. for a new lawn. Yeah. And they're like, have you ever done that before? And I didn't just want to just say, like, flat no. So I kind of, I was like, oh, yeah, a long time ago, but definitely would need some refreshing. So don't send me out. Kind of like saying, don't send me out by myself to go do yeah, this, please. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he goes, oh, good. You'll be our expert. <laughs> they had <laughs> never done it. more experience than we do. <laughs> so now I was telling them. So then I'm looking at YouTube videos, you know what yeah. I mean? So I can tell them how to lay down saw. <laughs> well, isn't that funny? Like, YouTube's legit. Like, oh, made a lot you don't of careers. Need, yeah. You don't need to go to school anymore. You, yeah. you would never have to learn anything. You can learn every as long as it's, you know, I remember like, like, a, there's an old joke about like third grade math teachers. You just have to stay one day ahead on the lesson plan and the kids. <laughs> All you have to know yeah. is like, the, but it's the same thing with YouTube. Like, you could get a job doing anything. And as long as you have like, if as long as you're pretty smart, you can just watch a YouTube video of what you need to do that day, and you can probably figure it out. That's definitely true in the day job. Um, yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the little secret. Like, and yeah, I I pity anybody who hasn't worked a day job because I feel like you know those are the people who don't who can't understand why government doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or, or mystified by decision-making processes. You have to you have to get in the belly of the beast and feel the pain to understand, I think. Well, it's true. So, like, and there's different types of day jobs, you know, like, mm-hmm. but I think what you're talking about is, like, it's good to have some experience in the multi-level bureaucracy of a corporation, you well know. Well said. Because then you really feel how conflicting 
the different orders can be and like someone can have a bright idea six floors up above and then by the time it gets filtered down to the floor where they never have to check to see if it actually works or not mm-hmm. but you're doing it or if you don't if you're like screw it that doesn't yeah. work i'm gonna do it the way it's been doing then you get in trouble you know so you're right i've had a few jo- like i said i worked at best buy for a very brief period and i worked in uh, radio <laughs> right out of college there it and is. that was very much like that because yes, the radio we were ta- station we were was talking about um on instagram about that neighborhood yeah yeah cairo radio that's right yeah. and um it's like a news radio station in seattle and they would constantly be i feel like i only worked there like a year and a half two years but we were probably bought and sold like twice in that uh-huh. time you know that's like the radio business yeah and so of course someone buys the station new manager rolls in has wants to do everything different and then that worth happens for like three weeks and then things slowly go back to the way everyone was doing it before you know yep that's that's exactly it right there so you got you got to have the experience which probably yeah. makes you more relatable to people when you're doing comedy bits yeah, I think so. And I, yeah, you it's some sort of thing to draw off of. It's hard to do comedy if you're only ever doing comedy. You mm. know what I mean? Like if your whole day is writing and booking yourself and thinking about comedy and then you go up at night and do comedy and then you go to bed and you get up in the morning and you think mm. if you're never the well like kind of runs out of like stimulus of yeah. ideas and stuff. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Like, have you ever been in that groove where you're just kind of so focused on it that maybe you're yes. running dry? Yeah, so for sure. And I think of the time I, I lived in Los Angeles for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And um, I for long stretches when I was living there, I would get focused, not just, I guess, not just on stand-up, but like there, there's sort of this overstimulation of everything you should be pursuing not only should you be doing comedy you should be acting and making a web series and (laughs) uh making a podcast and you know if you're not doing all this different so you're kind of getting pulled in all these directions and that's Mm -hmm. all i was really thinking about Mm -hmm. and then you realize you're like oh i haven't written a new joke in like three weeks you know and maybe that's because i'm not thinking i'm not doing i'm not thinking about relationships i'm not thinking about Life And there's sort of this romanticized idea of, like, the comic who's, like, doing six sets a night and lives, breathes, eats, sleeps comedy, and they're the great ones. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, you do need room to have experiences to have something to talk about or have something inform your perspective. Yeah. And you may not have a fully formed perspective right away on it either. You may need to process of course, maybe you process by writing. Yeah, I think so. And and by doing it on stage, I think like, I mean, I guess by the time it gets on stage, it's more, especially for comedians, it's more about, it's less about processing how you feel about the idea than it is what's getting the laugh. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. more of a, because I always think with comedy, there's like, there's the art and the craft, you know? And and what you're talking about, I think, like the, you know, processing how you really want to approach this and your perspective, that's kind of the art. The mm-hmm. craft comes down to like, okay, that's all great, but I literally need people to laugh mm-hmm. <laughs> like every, you know, 30 or 40 seconds or else this is going to be very awkward. So uh, 
that's like the craft part and like and trying to figure out where those spots are and make punchlines and mm. yeah and so. i imagine there's a lot to the craft because you know, for something to be funny it has to be relatable in the first place yeah and you got the only know what you're talking about and there's only one way to know if it's relatable or not and that's to try it Mm. you know like Mm -hmm. there's no substitute for that there's no like no matter how many times you go around to your friends and try it or whatever write it and you can craft you know i talk to comics sometimes who are aspiring and they're working up the nerve to go on stage or whatever and they always think there's this misnomer that like Oh, if I, the more time I spend before I go up my first time on writing, the better my first time will be. Mm. And that's just not, that's just not true. There's no relation to that. The best thing you can do is go up on stage and just get that over with. Go up that first time because you're not going to write your way into having a great first time. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. You could have 10 lifetimes to write out that first set, but yeah. it's doing the set itself that will inform you how to do the next one better and the next one better and the next one better. Yeah. I imagine there's like this, probably this adaptation process, just being on stage and having that view and being able to come within yourself enough to have some command of what you're doing at all. Totally. That, that, yeah, forget you're, you're exactly right. Forget the jokes themselves. I mean, just the comfortability because I always, I think of it this way, like, um, you know, I'm not great at parties. Uh, (laughs) yeah, I mean, you just end the sentence there. I'm not great at parties, (laughs) but even I'm pretty good in a room with people I know pretty good. Right. Yeah. And then I think, oh, yeah, Andrew's really funny because they know me and I'm and I my sense of humor can come out. But yeah. at like a neighborhood block party with a bunch of neighbors who I barely know, mm-hmm. I'm not like the funny guy. I'm very I'm very introverted. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that same way with the stage for me. The stage was like that friend that I had to get to know. And at first mm-hmm. I was very stiff and not myself. But then after a while, the stage, you go up over and over and over again. You get to know the stage and all the things that comes with that. And then you get comfortable, and the whole goal is like to be yourself as much as possible. Yeah. And then you're going to be the funny person that you think you are in your head to okay. them. So yeah. how does an introvert, right? Like, Because a lot of writers are introverts, some are extroverts, mm-hmm. and there's a great deal of comfort in always being behind the curtain, right? And yeah. so how does an introvert get into comedy? Or was that your well, original Well, you goal sign up. Yeah, no, I I think that um, I didn't get into comedy like it's not like it is now. You know, this was sixteen, seventeen years ago. Mm-hmm. It there wasn't as many like sort of how to like YouTube, like we were talking about earlier, like yeah. how you can learn to do anything on YouTube. Yeah, there's that for comedy now and podcasts and blogs, and it wasn't really like that back then. So I didn't think of it as a career really. I just mm-hmm. kind of thought it would be fun. And more about like, hey, this would be a cool thing if I was like to tell my friends one day or like it would make me cool because I would have like could be my personality or something, you know? Yeah. And I'd always loved comedy and stand up. So I wanted to try it. And um, I but the way you get into you just sign up and for an introvert, it's actually kind of better than you would think, because really with stand up, you don't have to like tell anybody even. There's usually at an open mic a list that's put mm-hmm. out 
mm-hmm. on a table somewhere. You can go. You don't have to say a word to anybody. You can go over. Yeah. You can put your name on the list, right. and then you wait, and you go up. And then when you go up on stage, again, it's like you're taught, you know, you're. it's kind of like... You would think, oh, an introvert would hate going up on stage and talking, but it's just completely different than like having like a one-on-one or two-on-one conversation. It's yeah. it's um it's a whole different le- skill set. So yeah. to me, I never I was nervous, of course, the first few times, but um it it was always different, and I and it hasn't made me any better as far as like interacting with strangers. <laughs> now I'm still bad at like the rental car counter or whatever. I I always walk away going, why did I say that? Or you're not. Anytime someone has to like find out I'm a comedian, I'm like, they're not gonna think that I'm really a comedian, you know? Because I was like, I wasn't funny to them in that mm-hmm. little period. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. But I've learned to just not care and be uh, secure enough in like what I've done in my career and stuff. But yeah. I haven't. It hasn't made me better in a conversation. I don't think. So, it started out as something fun to do, and you mentioned you loved stand-up comedy. So, like, what were some of your like? What what inspired you? Who inspired you? Well, I loved. Uh, like, I used to watch Comedy Central's like the hours. So, like, Mitch Hedberg was mm-hmm. a big one for me. I just thought he was so funny, and Dave Attell was great. And then, you know, then once I got into stand-up, I really loved, like, Steve Martin and Wanda Sykes was big. And um, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones. But Colin Quinn, once I was really kind of doing open mics, then I was like, oh, my gosh, Colin Quinn is, like, the funniest guy ever. And so those those were kind of, like, the the big ones for me. But when I was really – when I was younger, the first one I remember really loving was – was Attell and Hedberg, their little Comedy Central 30-minute things. Mm-hmm. That 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 was like, those were like amazing to me. Yeah. And were you also like a, a writer or was just like you got into writing because you had to write jokes? Yeah. I, the first, my first notebook. So I, I read this book when right after high school called The Confederacy of Dunces. Mm-hmm. Some people may know it. It's a very funny book, uh, and in the book, the main character will do these journals. And so he's journaling. The character is journaling within the book, and they're very. He's he's this insane character, like he's like this medievalist, right? Mm-hmm. So he speaks in this high fluting langu- language, and uh, he um, it, it, and it has a very dim view of the current world, you know, and. Uh, is very dismissive of other people. So it's just really funny. The way he yeah. wrote was just very, very funny as yeah. in character in the journal. And so I was on um, my grandparents for my graduation of high school, took me on a cruise to like, um, it was like uh, kind of Northern Europe, like oh, cool. Scandinavia area. Yeah, it sounds yeah. cool now, but when you're a high school kid, Going on a ship in a non-tropical area with a bunch of other 80-year-olds. You know, I just, I was like, this isn't exactly the way. I mean, it was a beautiful present. You, you, were, the, and, you were the fish out of water. In totally. Place. So I had a lot of downtime. There was a ton yeah. of downtime. Yeah. And I would, I would, I had a notebook and I didn't know what else to do. So I wrote journals as if I were the character in that book that kind of got, that was like my first taste of actual writing in a notebook. 
And then that sort of um, grew into my own voice slowly. And then I started writing like ideas and jokes for this, me and my friend, Sean Stoddard, he's a funny guy I knew from high school. And mm. he, um, and I did a cable access show, if okay. you can believe. Yeah. That's right. how old I am. This was like before YouTube, I think. Or YouTube was there, but hadn't quite, no one knew what it was or whatever. But anyway, we did cable access. So we did the sport report. We like sports. And so we tried to make a funny sports show. And so then I'd write jokes for that, that I would then eventually, I can't remember the order, but then s- somehow I would try those jokes on stage every once in a while and okay. vice versa. So, yeah. yeah, that makes sense. And I don't know if you were watching ESPN then, because I assume that would give permission, right? They tried to punch it up and be witty and and have those little yeah yeah yes yeah i think sports center sports center for sure was a good influence like kenny main is very funny and it was on so that was like you know a funny sports guy and we just we just love sports and we loved like saturday night live like you know those those casts like with chris Kattan and Mm -hmm. i remember so we were just very into sketch comedy and stuff and so uh and Sean's very creative and funny, and so we we that's what we kind of landed on. And yeah, were you in college just, at this point? Yeah, yeah, we just that was like right after high school, I think, mm-hmm. or maybe my last year of high school, and then when he was in college. It's, it's hard to remember. I'm yeah. bad with like the dates of things. Oh, but, that's okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, but the, what a key element! Like you were a fish out of water on this cruise, and you were bored. Yes. Bored and no access to like any phone or yeah. and forget smartphone. I mean like not even like a telephone, you yeah. know. Yeah. So and no TV really yeah. like so it's um and no friends, you yeah. know. So and my grandparents and my grandparents were great, but they would get up like at, you know, 5 in the morning. And uh, they'd come back from breakfast and I was still asleep. You know what I mean? So we were on different schedules, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I haven't thought about that before, but you're right. That's like the isolation of it. Yeah. Is kind of good for your brain sometimes. It is. You had to entertain yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever reproduced that environment? I mean, you've had a you've had a career. Well, yeah. I mean, I've I literally have um, since worked on cruise ships to be you know be a comedian, mm-hmm. and um, so there will be it's similar you know where your phone doesn't work and mm. there's not much TV and it 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 does create sort of I think you probably do write more mm-hmm. when you have when you physically can't procrastinate in one of the key ways that you're used to you know because it's so easy to procrastinate now because there's like it's like just one click away to do something that takes you into entire worlds of information and entertainment and you know so um yeah i mean i but what you know like doing some sort of like intentional writer's retreat or something where you I've never done that before, but it sounds very appealing, you know. Yeah, I agree. I I think it. Would, yeah, it sounds appealing to me as well. But gosh, 
look forward to that day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard. It's hard yeah. because it's not just your expectations. It's like the expectation of everyone in your life. Like yeah. it's very difficult to justify now not returning a call or a text or an email mm. for more than 24 hours. I mean, yeah. you've got to like send out, you know, an email blast to everyone, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to be off the grid for yeah. whatever. Yeah. So yeah, people won't remember anyways, but you know, no. yeah. but I think you can do that in small chunks. Um, I was reading a New York times article, I think about, they were talking about this pandemic and I forget the word they were using to describe it. it's not depression and it's not but there's like a word in between lamenting or something. I, I can't remember what the word was, but they're like, that's what most people are suffering from. Okay. And, and they're saying that if you can create flow, it gets you out of that. So like mm. if you can f- be doing the thing yeah. and not be thinking about the things you have to do, that yeah. it's a way to snap yourself out of it and creating like small periods of un- uninterrupted time can like, quadruple your productivity rather than like having your whole day to do something, but it's constantly being interrupted. So if you can just give yourself, if you can tell everybody in your life, like, Hey, I need two hours yeah. by myself to do something. Yeah. You're, you're going to get more done than if you have eight hours, but can be reached the whole time of those eight hours. Yeah. Okay. Is That's that, that was there. I haven't tried it. <laughs> You're like, I, don't know. <laughs> I read it like yesterday, but uh, I feel like uh, I was. I was makes able, sense to me. Feels like I was able to adapt more readily early during the pandemic, you know, and, and those things. But there's a certain level of wear and tear, you know, to this. I'm having a yeah, yeah. I'm having a harder time now. I think in yeah. the beginning, there was sort of this like. You know, the whole ship's going down, so just throw your hands up. And yeah. it's like, I'm going to be out in my backyard, I guess, working on the grass or something, you know, because there's like, what else are you going to do? You yeah. know, everyone's in the same boat. So, but now, in, especially in comedy, everybody has been so creative and um, working hard and then doing outdoor shows and just coming up. They're, they're overcoming the barrier so now it's that feeling of like falling behind is creeping in Uh, a lot more and even though i feel like i've done a lot i've done a lot of the virtual shows and had the podcast and i have a podcast and all that it's still um difficult not to get that feeling whereas before it kind of was nice knowing everybody's like in the same you know sinking ship so to speak yeah interesting that there's i guess that comparison thing comes up a lot as soon as we log on and check the social media i know i know yeah because it can cut both ways it's inspiring to me because i go oh my gosh that's great wow that's so creative oh i can you know i i should be doing stuff like this you know but then on the other hand it can be very taxing because you're like oh when is it ever going to be enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so well how Kind of pressing rewind here, like you know, you got into into the comedy because it was fun and something cool to do. Um, like, how did this? How does this shift into a career? Like, what's the progression? Yeah, so I, I mean, it's slow. You know, it's very mm-hmm. for me. It was very slow. It wasn't like one day I got discovered and then you know they put me on the road or whatever. It was just like 
you're doing open mics at uh, the club and then you're then you start hanging out the weekends hoping to get like unpaid guest spots mm-hmm. you know but i will say the big shift is because at the beginning at least for me i had to convince and this might be true for any artist you know mm. but you have to convince yourself to do the thing right i had mm-hmm. to tell myself okay go back to the open mic one more time or like no, you should go, and you're thinking of excuses, and there's resistance, and you're like, ah, I don't really want to go, or, oh, I'm going to bomb, but just go. So you're having this argument with yourself to go or not, mm-hmm. and you kind of, you you have to tell your, your brain has to tell, like, your, I don't know, your body to go, right? Yeah. But then it, I don't know when it happened, but at a certain point, it, it flips to where now I have to tell myself, Every once in a while, hey, you don't need to go to, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I want to go every night, every spot, every stage, no matter what. You get like addicted. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, and then it's like, okay, no, you need some balance in your life, or you yeah. probably shouldn't miss your grandma's 90th birthday to go do an open <laughs> mic. <laughs> you know, don't be yeah. a psychopath. So uh, it flips. And when it flipped, that's when I think it kind of was like, it's it's going to be a career now because if I can make this mm. and I met some comics, that's the other thing. You yeah. meet comics that you have that are not famous and you're like, oh, they have a car. They have a yeah. house mm. like it is a career like you, you don't think I think an audience member thinks comics are either like the poorest people in the world or the richest. Like you're either, mm-hmm. you know, Chris Rock or you're living in your mom's basement. And it's there is like a middle class. There are comics that just are kind of working comics and they make a nice living and you'll you may never hear of them, but they do a great job and they have their yeah. nice little following. Yeah. So I didn't know that existed like most people, especially back then. Yeah. And so when I met those guys, I was like, well, I can do that. Like, uh-huh. maybe I'll never host the Tonight Show, but I I, uh, I can be, you know, funny enough to do that. And then if that's as good as as good as the money is in, like, radio or whatever, or, yeah. then great. That's so true. And, like, you need to see that it's real. Yes. Right? And, and attainable. Like, I know, like, Everybody's like, oh, I want to write a book, you know, and but I'm never going to be Stephen King, so why bother? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's and I, there is, um, I guess you need lower yeah. bars, you know, like you, you say, there's I can do this with this guy's doing. Well, you need entry points, I think, mm. and you need like an example of it's, it's so nice to have like uh, a career path you could just mimic you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's hard to find in comedy because it's so different for everybody every time you know Mm -hmm. everybody has different but um if you can so that's why i think sometimes comics are gravitated to people from their hometown and they're like oh you're from seattle too i'm from seattle okay so it's possible from so someone from seattle to move to new york and you know and uh or even now in my situation I like finding comics who no longer live in New York and LA Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and are still doing very well because that's like, okay, now that's a career path. Like there's these guys like Chad Daniels and um, others who live, uh, who don't live in LA or New York, but are still giant touring, great Mm -hmm. comics and uh, doing very well. And you're like, okay, I can live in Portland and still be uh, a viable comic. 
That's interesting. And like, are you seeing that the that the day to day activities, reality of that of the people who do that, um, are, are significantly different? Like, what's the difference in in how but you I, focus your time or energy at that point? Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a huge difference necessarily other than the other things that have come with it for moving to Portland for us. So like our big thing, we wanted to buy a house, right? Mm -hmm. And there's no way we were doing that in LA and we've been able to do that in Portland. So that was like a goal and we did it and we love it. Mm -hmm. And, but I will say like, um, with, um, uh, we were talking about before about how in Los Angeles I was getting my attention pulled in all different directions. Yeah. Yeah. The great thing about moving to Portland for me was there, those things no longer really, it was like, okay, I love stand up. I want to be a stand up. I'm just going to do stand up and mm-hmm. I'm going to focus on stand up and stand up can feed my family. I've, I've been able to prove this. So it's like, if I just, if I put all my energy into that, maybe I can grow that big enough yeah. And not have to worry about the other stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and then again, I'm looking at these other comics who have done this from, from uh, smaller markets and they're, it, it wasn't necessary for them to be in LA or New York or be on a sitcom or whatever. So hmm. that wasn't, that's, I, I noticed, I think it has benefited, benefited me to move. It's made me a stronger comic, a more prolific comic because, um, you know, I'm not being pulled in as many directions. So at what point did you move to LA? Like what point in the arc was this? So I, yeah, like I started in Seattle. I Mm -hmm. year two in, I moved to Boston actually because a buddy of mine went to BC who is a comic who I started with around the same time. And he was kind of liked it there. And I really think he wanted, cause I had a car Mm-hmm. He just wanted me to move there so <laughs> he could borrow the car. Uh-huh. But uh, he got me there, and then we uh, I did comedy in Boston. I loved it and um, made a lot of – a lot of my really good stand-up friends today are people I met in Boston at that time. But then uh, ended up running out of money because I <laughs> – talk about day jobs. Like Boston's very expensive, and mm-hmm. I was, wasn't able to you know crash on anyone's couches or anything, so – Hmm. Uh, moved home back to Seattle and then after another year or so I moved to LA again I just kind of followed comics I knew like Mm -hmm. my friend Jeff and Brian the guy who lived in Boston they both went to LA and were kind of talking me into it and so I was like I guess that's just the next thing you do I had no plan I had no Mm -hmm. you know like oh I'm gonna I have my pilot you know and I have my uh headshots and i have i didn't have any of that i was like mm-hmm. i guess you just go and then you start doing comedy and you're funny and then they put you in stuff yeah yeah yeah, yeah. that's not what happened <laughs> no no <laughs> you have to have like a whole you know like you, you just what they really want is well, some of my listeners might be thinking god i gotta move to la or new york you know like, i don't think you have to move to la or new york but i do think that if you move to la or new york you should have a plan and you should know what people want. What they want is to make money off of you. Okay. And if you can't help them see how they're going to make money off of you, then you're wasting your time. Like, right. so, uh, like if you're going to go and like, they're going to want you to take acting classes or have already taken a lot of acting classes. They're not going to want to go, Oh, you're a funny standup. 
uh, I'm going to just put you on the road, yeah. you know, they, like, like they make no money off of that. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah. so did you do those things? Did you? No, uh, no, I didn't. No, I, I, um, I had a little bit of like, so I did, I had like some representation and mm. got a few writing gigs and, um, I did Conan, you know, and I, well, okay, I had let's, some let's success. About, you're kind yeah, of, bree- like, you're kind of breezing over this. Like, yeah. So, so, okay. Okay, so you get down there. Yes, Conan gig falls in your lap. No. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely so, not. So okay. So how do you like? Nothing like, ever fell in my lap. Because I'm thinking. So, about, I'm thinking about this. Like, you know, you're you're doing this outdoor work, sodding, and you don't know anything about sodding, but you're the expert on sodding, right? Like, is there a parallel yeah. to this to getting into writing for late night TV? Yeah, well, as far as the parallel would be, yeah, just lie <laughs> and say you can do stuff because yeah, yeah. no one knows anything, you know. Yeah, like, like, and that that's that's it for every level of art. I think, like, you know, comics specifically for comedy, and then yeah. you can take it wherever you want. But specifically for comedy, comics are always like, oh, I don't know if I have this much time, or I don't know if I have. Oh, it's a clean show. I don't know if. Just say you can do it, and you'll yeah. rise to the occasion, or you won't. And then yeah. you'll, and then they'll be mad at you. But so what? At least you try it. You know what I mean? I always, yeah. I'm a big believer in just like, just do it and you'll, you'll get, you'll find a way, you know? But, yeah. um, yeah. So when I moved down there, I, you know, it was very difficult doing open mics. Open mic scene down there is very tough. Uh, there was no easy passes or anything, but I did get, um, a few I'm, I'm trying to think of like how things even i would do festivals so actually okay. the way i got my first manager was doing a festival in Asheville, north carolina it was not anything to do with la it's funny the mm. guy lived in la i lived in la but it takes going to Somewhere these festivals for them to pay attention yes, yes. Yeah. So that's that's how i got my first manager and then uh i and then i remember after that happened i was like well I'm on easy street now. They just, Cause I was like, Oh yeah. He was like, Oh, I book colleges. I was like, great. Colleges pay great. Put me on the road. I'll do a bunch of colleges. See it. And of course, no, that's not how it works at any level I've ever gotten to with representation. You still have to hustle just as hard as when you didn't have it. Yeah. And the key is with these managers and agents, like that maybe they can get you into different competitions, but mm-hmm. you still have to work your ass off to get those jobs. And that's what I didn't, I didn't understand that either. I thought when I got a manager, it was like, they'll just book me on stuff and I yeah. don't have to worry anymore. Yeah. But no, of course they're thinking, Hey, Hey, that was funny. You're talented. Now you got to do all this stuff, you know? But I, I was talking about this with my wife the other day. It's like, it's two things. One, I was a little arrogant. I didn't think I had to take acting classes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then two, it's expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not, it's everyone's like, yeah, take these classes, get these headshots, do this, do that. Take UCB classes, go to the groundlings, go. Yeah. And it's like all that stuff costs like thousands of dollars. Yeah. And if you, I don't understand. I mean, so there really you is. You don't a, see the link to how you were going to do it. No. And I was, you, and, yeah. and the thing is, is stand up is free. That's what I love about stand up. It's, it's, yeah. um, open to all. You know, and mm. it's you now, and sometimes there's some prejudices from the people running whatever room or whatever, and I'm not diminishing that, but at least it's free mm-hmm. and you can sign up and they're not going to charge you 
some people do stand-up classes and you know some of those are good some of those aren't but mm-hmm. what i'm saying is there's no barrier to entry financially to get into stand-up yeah usually and it's just with acting and all this other stuff and especially now they're like oh you know for writing like my mm-hmm. wife is a screenwriter people will tell you to produce stuff they'll be like yeah you know to get to really get in you you should make it on your so own you're like, oh yeah on your own yeah time. yes i'll just yes. come up with like 300 grand or something and we'll <laughs> yeah. you know make this it's like and yeah. i get you you know so they, they the money is a big part of it that nobody yeah. likes to talk about but if you're yeah. not like have some funding down there it can it can be difficult yeah so anyway i i was doing all right though as i was kind of working the road most of the stuff i booked myself and then when i got a college agent who was different than that manager that changed things for me quite a bit because he really did book me on colleges mm-hmm. and that was real money, you know, money I was not used to. Yeah. And then, um, and that was kind of from being down in LA, but not really like my college agent is out of North Carolina, you know? Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not, I'm never sure how much the perception of living somewhere changes things or not, but then, yeah. um, and then, few years of doing that and then i the way i got conan though i i kind of broke up with my manager at the time because i was like you know this isn't going the way i thought it was and Mm -hmm. you know a lot of it's my fault because i when i like what i said earlier i was like when i got you know hooked up with you i Mm kind of took my foot off the gas and what i really i should have done the opposite and um so i think i'm just going to try and do it my own way for a while and then you know who knows but i'm just going to go at myself right Mm -hmm. and uh but then i was sort of sending out my tape i was working hard at stand-up and then i wanted to do conan so my buddy brant tobler and i we would he was my roommate too and we would walk runyon canyon every day and we're like man we just need someone we don't even need a manager like take you know percentage off our road gigs and stuff what we just need is like a guy who can send stuff on our behalf so we don't look like amateurs, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we had this buddy, Ryan, my buddy, Ryan, and he's like this New York dude and he, he worked in TV production or he does. And he, he's a real slick talker, like the opposite of me at a party. Like he kills it. Like everybody's going to remember him, all this stuff. And, uh, we, we had, I was like, all right, you're going to be our manager. So he made a website. His name's Ryan Kreppen and he called it, he calls it K Reppen. And uh, he, we, <laughs> nice. he sent the email to the Conan Booker and and got me on and then my, that tape he got he but you know he did do like managerial things like he was like no yeah. if we're gonna get a tape we're gonna get my boy Willie he's got a great camera we're gonna make it look really good yeah and that that's what got me on Conan and then to this day he's like good friends with the Conan Booker like they're like he was like at his wedding and stuff so right on well that worked out yeah so so. Uh, so having uh, a I don't team. Know. So you didn't do it yourself, lone wolf no. style. No. Okay. Ryan well, really you, helped you are, me. You yeah. are my 87th guest to confess that you did not do it all yourself. Out of 87. I, I, of course. Which is an I impressive it. track record. I'm I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's gonna have the balls. To I come thought on you here were and... gonna be the unicorn. No, no. No, not at all. And I always say like in the comedy world especially like most of the stuff you get is with the help of other comics like so when you go to a festival and you think and this might be true for writers or or anybody but you think like oh there's going to be 
publishers there. There's going to be industry. I've got to really make connections with them. But those people change all the time. Yeah. Whoever was working at Comedy Central this week was not there a year ago and was not there two years ago. So yeah. to keep track of them, but comics stay in it. So like, and they know who to talk to, and they just got this thing, and they can get you that gig or whatever. Yeah. So those are the the most valuable relationships are with your peers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that, so you're not doing it yourself. That's my point. Yeah. Looking out for each other, but but so you're not. At what point, if ever, did you feel like your peers were your competition? Oh well. I, I mean, you tell yourself they're not because yeah. you, you, you try to think it through logically and you go, they're not taking my spot. You know, they got that thing because that was their thing or that was created for them or, or whatever. They just mm-hmm. that wasn't something you were up for and missed out on. But it's that's a combination of that always that you kind of think competitively. I'd say there's probably like three or four comics I'm like super close with who mm-hmm. I would never there would never be even a twinge of like, God damn, that would be great if that was me. You yeah. know what I mean? There's yeah. not even a, a hint of that. There's probably like a few and I have to be really, but almost everybody else, if it's something big, I go, man, why did I not get, you know what I mean? There is yeah. that feeling. Yeah. And then you kind of just have to talk yourself off that ledge and go, no, you know, that wasn't going to be, <laughs> they're not taking your spot. They're just doing their thing and you got to do your thing, you know? Yeah. You ever like, ever in the past go oh that was a really cool gig how do i get that gig oh every time yeah yeah. every time every time and uh and it can be stuff you don't even want yeah it can be be things (laughs) like i don't even want to do that you know or Mm. i wouldn't even say yes to that but you're still mad that it wasn't like something interesting you know was there was there a point where you like you developed that filter like what you would say yes and no to Oh man, that's yeah, that's the hardest thing in comedy is saying no because the they got you by the balls because you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You know? You want to do that's what I was talking about, but like when you love it like this, it's like you want to do every show. And yeah. so when they offer you bad money or they offer you like you think you're a headliner but they want you to feature and you have to say no, it's so hard because you want to do it because you're like, that'd be a fun weekend. I feature mm-hmm. do 15, 20 minutes or whatever. And it's a cakewalk and it'd be a fun yeah. crowd. And I could meet, hang out with the headliner. It'd be a fun weekend. But you just know that if you say yes to that, that they'll never bump you up or whatever. Yeah, so, yeah. uh, once you, once you kind of have a toehold in a certain level, you kind of have to stay there because it's, it's weird. That's part of the weird game of it. But, um, anyway, and now I, I find being married and have a kid, I, cause I talked to this comic Kira Saltanovich about this one time and she's very, very funny comic and she's got kids and she's like, the kid thing really helped me clarify the money part. Like mm. it's gotta be worth it now to leave the house. Yeah. I'm not just going to go for nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I'm once things kind of really pick back up and this pandemic ends, I'm curious to see how having a kid for me changes my calculus mm. on some of that. Yeah. I guess there's only one way to find out. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. No, that's so true. And, you know, how long can you hold out? So you can say, hey, I'm only, I don't leave the house for less than, you know, X. Mm-hmm. But then yeah. how long does it take for you not to be offered X before you start? Okay, I'll take Y. Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> I know? guess it's different. Like when you're full thrust and you're booked out and maybe there are certain gigs that you, you know, you need to start weeding out to make room. Right. Yeah. That's one thing. But coming back in when you're not booked up, I imagine, is a different mindset shift to hold that boundary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think this is a good test right now of my uh, standards or whatever, because, you know, I am desperate to do, you know, I got my first shot a few days ago. When I get that second shot, I am really excited to get back on the road and, and get back mm-hmm. to doing live shows. And it'll be a good test for me to what I say yes and no to. Mm. Well, one of the things you list on your bio and I, you know, I'll admit I listened to your other podcast a bit, the one, the one kind of insider podcast about comedy. Oh, the stand-up one, yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, talk about writing straight and not straight, right? Or what? I don't know if I got the terminology right. Oh. But you mentioned that you 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 can perform for a variety of audiences and in comedy that you know that in some ways is, is a little different than even like I did music and was a songwriter. Right. And like with comedy, you know, people are the joke, right? <laughs> so like, how do you approach writing for different audiences and that like whole thing? Yeah. So I try not to, um, write for different audiences necessarily. So okay. what I, what I try to do is, you know, not filter ideas. Okay. And this is something I think I this is something we talked about on there. But I, I try to go any idea to me that's funny. I'm gonna write. Yeah. And then, you know, if there's like, I tr- I just try not to curse a lot because mm-hmm. that's just like a financial decision. Because there, as weird as the world has gotten, and it's funny is, you know, you think like, oh, you watch TV now, you can say anything, but in a weird way, there's still a lot more money in being able to do a clean show. And yeah, uh, when you're not famous, if you're famous, I'll forget it. You just say whatever you want. Yeah, but um. So that's just like a financial choice, but the idea itself, I try never to filter. And then, so that I'm going to end up with some jokes that like, I can't tell at like certain events or corporate functions or whatever. And then as long as kind of tag those, or do you have like some way of like organizing your stuff so that you can easily find what, What's no, I I, sh- I wish I was a little more organized, to be honest with you. But yeah. I try to write set lists in my notebook, and mm-hmm. then I just kind of consult the last few weeks of set lists, and uh, kind of that's my my running hour, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And then if you look at that, and they're like, "Oh, that bit's not going to work here," or whatever, yeah. then you you can swap out for older stuff or whatever. Yeah. But. Did I try to write a set list for every show. At any point way, were you ever like, gosh, this would be my worst nightmare. Like, is there something that like you were afraid would happen? You know? Oh, that happened? Yeah, well, sure. 
Oh, sounds, sounds like you're like, I got a story there. My no, worst no, nightmare I, happened. No, no, I was just trying to clarify. No, I was just trying it's... to get to like, at some point, were you worried about the content of your jokes or offending people and like what was going to happen at some point? Yeah, I mean, I'm not one of those guys who's like, I want to. I definitely don't want to offend anybody. Yeah. You know, I definitely don't want anyone to not have a good time. I want everyone to have fun and laugh and think it's fun, you know, funny show. But, mm. um, I think when I started, I was a little more like, you know, you sh- it's comedy. You can say whatever you want. You should mm. think whatever you want and it's free speech. And, all. Mm-hmm. and I still believe that. But I also think like for me, my own, uh, kind of, I just want to be able to defend it if I had to. Mm. So like if I did a, my set and it was a, a joke that someone was upset about, I I know I've already had the conversation. I already know how I would defend it. Mm. I don't want to just defend it on the grounds of, Hey, I'm a comedian. I can say whatever I want. I want to actually defend yeah. the idea of the joke. And then if you still think it's offensive, yeah. then I, then I don't know, you know, then whatever, then we can have the argument, but right. But as then long you're, as I you're can, solid about your own morals or ethics. Or yeah, as long as I've right. run it through what I think, and I'm a pretty educated guy, and I mm-hmm. try to keep up with the news and everything. So it's like, as long as I can defend it, you know, reasonably, and it's mm-hmm. funny, then, I, you know, I can be convinced that I'm wrong. I'm also open-minded to that, but if I don't, if I'm not convinced, then I'll just, I'll do it. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So you scrubbing COVID jokes from your from your set list? <laughs> yeah, no, I I do a lot of COVID jokes right now, but I mean it is funny. Like I want to record an album. I'm I'm aiming for October because I was kind of sitting on a bunch of stuff before everything kind of fell apart. Mm. And like, who knows what's still gonna be like? Things change so quick. I don't know if people be sick of it, but no, I have. I do a, a little bit of COVID stuff. Not as much. I've been doing these virtual shows. It used to be like a ton of COVID stuff. I've cut a lot of it out because life has changed too. A lot yeah. of it was like waiting in line at the grocery store and stuff like that. And then like, that's not really the reality for most people anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they kind of, you have to kind of update it as we go. I'm sure a lot of it will not make it to October, but yeah. It's part of the power of stuff like, like that making other people's experiences feel seen like acknowledging people's reality it's yeah power in i th- i think like when you hit something people go and they light up even before the punchline that's yeah. when you know you're like in you know yeah. what i mean yeah. like when you you bring up you know i'm trying to think of a good example but i do this bit about like free little libraries you know Mm-hmm. And when they really get it and they've seen a bunch of those and, and they go, Oh my God, I know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Then it's like, you're like, Oh, this is going to kill because you're right. You're kind of validating their experience or whatever. And there's entire careers of guys who've been made off of being a very specific archetype mm. and there's there being enough of those people like that. And then they, they can say what it really they can yeah. say whatever they want as long as as long as it gets funneled through that 
yeah. experience, you know, sure, the people top, love it. The top comedy job I can think of an archetype there would be president of the United States. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, that's kind of true, right? Like, it didn't matter uh, what he said. I think it's said, pretty much about 99% yeah, true. You know, it, it, know. it doesn't matter what, especially the previous president, it didn't matter what he said. Yeah. It was more about the... Like emotional said, resonance. There's emotional yeah. resonance to the, yeah. what you're doing. Is and he there, tapped into that for sure. Well, for you, is there like a common emotional resonance or, you know, like a, a theme, some central, you know, what's central to Andrew Slater? Man, that's a tough question. I, I really, and I've, there's been a few times I've really tried to sit down and think about that and write, mm-hmm. literally write it out because I think it would help me career wise to have something like that. But yeah, I, sometimes it's hard. it's hard to do that for yourself. It's right? very hard, you know? Yeah. Um, I just think like, yeah, it's a tough question. I, I really would have to think about that more because um, I don't have a good answer for you. Maybe it's a good reason to do that comedy album. Like, so as an author, right? Like, you start out, you don't know who's going to like your books. And then you put stuff out, you get reviews, you have fans, and they tell you word yeah. for word. And it's like, ooh, yeah, that's it. Like, that's my copy. Yeah. 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 Every some, once in a while, I'll read, you'll, you'll see a review of either yourself or something else. And you're like, oh, they, they got it. Like my wife gets yeah. coverage of her scripts, you know? Yeah. And then she'll, she'll go, Oh, they, these, they get it. That's exactly what I was going, you know yeah. what I mean? And so yeah. I want to use that as like a quote for the yeah. log line or whatever. But well, what does yeah, it mean? I, what does it mean to make a comedy album for you? Is that like a live performance? Is it like a recorded yeah. go in a booth kind of thing? Or? No, it's a live, live performance, mm-hmm. you know, because you definitely want the audience in there and to get a real show i want it to feel like a when you're listening to it either Mm -hmm. in your car or on your phone or whatever i want it to feel like you were at the show you know so there could be like weird things that happen just like at any live show and Mm -hmm. that i try to keep that as much as possible and then for comics it's a it's a good way it's one of the few ways to make like a passive income you know Mm -hmm. and if you can get played on uh serious radio and and spotify not spotify and pandora very small parts of it but the xm mm-hmm. radio is pretty good and selling the album and stuff it's uh and it's a way to get your stuff out there to people who've never seen you before so it's yeah. and you know what it really is it's like a way to finish the because you have no other way to really mark like these achievements like because you like you Mm -hmm. come up with an hour of jokes Mm. you do that for a while you don't want to just do that hour of jokes for the rest of your life you know so you want to keep creating so this it's like a way to retire stuff and you go Mm -hmm. okay that joke was from that album and that's it's like a way to organize it and then you're like Mm. this is the new hour and then these jokes will be on this because not everybody gets like an hbo special so yeah (laughs) there's no way to categorize it otherwise and then once i've done this album and it's out and people can get it then i can go all those jokes were on that album time to start the new it's just a way to like mark your progress kind of yeah well that's got to feel satisfying if you can if you can yeah and and when you come up with a few of them then you can go wow i've really you know got kind of a 
collection here. And it's a way to, because otherwise, you know, you write these jokes, you do these jokes, they just go off into the ether and there's no record of it. I don't have, you know, I'm not one of these comics who keeps every, you know, note card and, mm-hmm. and, uh, book and put them on a computer drive or something i don't know where those jokes are you know as far Mm -hmm. as written wise yeah and so it's really the only record of them Mm. that makes sense so how many do you have right i have two now that you could get on um on uh you know the whatever you listen on and then uh, on on all the things yeah whatever yeah yeah yeah. i don't even know how people listen to stuff anymore and then uh, this one will be the third Cool. And are those things like you have a physical product up when you go on tour or I used to. And then the, the technological innovation was these digital download cards. Yeah. And then you'd sell the, yeah. Cause nobody would really redeems them. I felt bad selling them. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, and also like, you know, they want to support, they just want, they like the show. They want to buy something. Yeah. So great. But yeah. I I would feel bad. I'm like this isn't, and no one has CD players. So I, I this next one I'll just be like go go find it online and here's a, <laughs> here's a, you know I don't know what to tell you. I'll, may, I'll I'd rather sell like t-shirts or yeah even a DVD. I've sold DVDs before. Even that feels like well here's a thing that if they might have a DVD player somewhere you know like they could use. But yeah. Um, yeah, I don't sell physical copies of the album. I don't think I probably yeah. will. So you probably you, you think those are more discovery vehicles at this point for you, like for people to find you? Find yeah, well, you both. Are. I think like, yeah, I think most people who know me would download the album, mm-hmm. but they would use probably like their Apple Music or whatever. Yeah, streaming service kind of thing. And then, and then the people who you're trying to reach who you might get new fans are going to find it via Spotify playlists or, or mm-hmm. listening on XM radio or whatever. So is the idea. If you looked at the landscape of online things, right, there's social media, there's like Instagrams, there's Twitter, there's YouTube there. And then there's these streaming services. Like if you were to pick your top two that are most important to your career, what would those be? That's a great question. I think the thing probably, um, Instagram Mm -hmm. and I guess Twitter, but Mm -hmm. you know, it's funny. I feel like Twitter is more of a way for me to interact with, keep in touch with, resonate Mm -hmm. with my peers. Mm-hmm. And Instagram, Facebook is more is more fan ty- type of, or at least people consuming your product more. You know, mm. I don't think I get a lot of people who like, oh, I know you from Twitter or something. Yeah, you know, but I think it's important to me because it makes me feel connected to like other comics. Yeah. So why is Instagram and like? Why is Instagram more important to you than, say, the Sirius or YouTube? Oh, well, well, okay, let me back up. Sirius yeah. is the most important because okay. <laughs> it pays. Yes. And I don't think people understand the – and I, I almost don't like talking about it because it's so out of whack with the other um, uh, distributors mm. that you don't want them to, like uh. – you don't want it to get back to them. You don't want them to know. <laughs> 
how guess, much I'm guessing more they, they pay. I'm guessing. Yeah, they know. And they know, but I mean, it's just yeah. it's just funny to me. It's like my friend Joe Zimmerman. He tweeted that he was like, "Who negotiate?" Because he broke it down like what you get per play by Spotify. I, by I'm guessing. I'm guessing we Pandora. have like Howard Stern and the big the big names who jumped on. I the guess early they, to thank for for those I, rates. But I will say, so that is but that that is yeah. the most important because it it it's a significant yeah. amount of money every month yeah. that I don't I don't get any money from yeah. Instagram or Twitter well, or anything. You know so. the the reason why I asked what I was getting at really is you know the eighty twenty rule and like we do all this stuff and most of the time it feels like we're just kind of guessing at what the most effective levers are and so we're doing everything right mm-hmm. and so. I'm guessing at this point, 15 years in, and it's always changing, but you have a pretty good sense of like, okay, if I need to generate income or I need to do this thing, like there are these levers that I pull that I can pull. Right. Yeah. So like the album is not just about like, okay, let me, um, let me, you know, put my art out there and hopefully it lands. No, it's like, it's a calculated thing. Like it mm-hmm. beyond everything else I said, it's like, it's a way to make money, generate income. Yeah. And the, and the, you know, it gets back to the clean thing. Cause there's like serious channels that won't play certain content or whatever. Mm-hmm. So the more clean stuff you have, the, the more chance you have to make money on there as well. So yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's yeah. Like, you're thinking about making money with a with a comedy album a hundred percent yeah and um uh i've i've only recently even really tried to focus more on social media because i see how i finally have you know understand how important it is Mm. to comedian success but so tell me why why is it important well some people you want find to work. it a distraction, right? Like, yeah, it's a total distraction. Yeah. It, the the only way to like really beat it, I think, would be like I'm gonna create and log off. I'm gonna I'm gonna provide content and then not consume. Right? Mm-hmm. It's a very difficult thing to do, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, both things, both things are difficult. It's difficult to create content. It's difficult not to consume it. Yeah. And so, like, but it's so important for comedians because. Now more than ever, comedy clubs have a business model mm. where the performer drives all the ticket sales. Yeah. Like they yeah. invest very little on their own because why would they? They don't need they don't need to put people on the radio and yeah. buy magazine advertisements or whatever they used to do you know all they have to do is book someone with a really good following and they're going to do all the promotion and then they're going to get everybody out to see them they sell a bunch of tickets so me coming to a comedy club and just doing a really good job for their regulars isn't cutting it that makes sense you know anymore especially post pandemic i mean when everyone's hurting they're just gonna they're gonna be going for the absolute guaranteed yeah. ticket sales so yeah. how am i gonna get people to come see me i mean there's really one way now it's like creating a social media following whether it's with the podcast or the you know instagram facebook twitter stuff or yeah tiktok or whatever you know whatever it is it's like i email lists very i'm learning more about email lists i mean all this stuff it's mm-hmm. it's really important and it's stuff i did not take seriously for a long time to my own detriment yeah. but i'm learning you know i'm a slow learner but i'm gonna learn it i'm not mm-hmm. like i said i'm being open-minded and i think it'll 
it'll pay off in the long run. Cool. Of of those platforms, like, can you tell which ones get the most attention or have the most eyes on them for you? Yeah, I I find that. Uh, well, you know what's weird is this like comedians i think have just kind of discovered the tiktok you know yeah but just putting a stand-up clip on t- tiktok gets so much more attention than mm. anywhere else and i don't know if it's because tiktok's newer and they want there to be like their algorithms more right. generous or something yeah. and so they want you to get hooked or whatever but whatever it is it does seem to be like more is happening there yeah. but i've tried to focus on like trying to get people to my YouTube page recently. So I'm trying to do like original stuff for just for YouTube that isn't even stand up. It's just like kind of jokes directly to. Yeah. And, um, it's just really hard. It's hard to build, uh, people on there, get attention on there. Yeah. And so I, I, I don't know, I'm not going to quit because comics with big YouTube channels have it, have it really good because then they can kind of release their stuff on there and it's totally insular sort of thing, right? Like you get the revenue and then you get to own the rights to everything. And so it's definitely the way to go if you can build the audience, but it's it's hard. It's hard. It's very difficult. Yeah. And people, you know, it's hard to switch people from one platform to another, like drive traffic between platforms. They're not really designed to do that. And, and the way you shoot video or create video, it's not designed to go from one jump from one to the other. Like you almost have to create stuff specific for each platform. It seems like for it to, to do well, but I, I, who knows, you know, it's like you said, it's like, I'm trying to keep an open mind to it because I understand how important it is, but in like a perfect world, I just get my little notebook write my little jokes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, go on stage, make a couple bucks, yeah. go home, feel yeah. really good about myself. I mean, that yeah. would be a great life, but it's just, that's not the way okay. the world is. I don't think. Well, second to last question then like is you've been doing this a long time. So what is it a, about this stand up comedy that, that drives you today? Like what's your why today for doing it? I think I love, first of all, I love like, like it sounds so stupid and cliche, but I really do love laughing. I love when something is really funny. Mm-hmm. And so I just like being in that laboratory of trying to make that. Yeah. And then I think, you know, there is sort of a gigantic rush adrenaline wise of mm. being on stage and getting immediate gratification from saying mm-hmm. something clever and yeah. uh and and being able to command that is uh yeah you know it affects your mood when you can't do it you know like i said this pandemic thank god for these virtual shows cuz it really has saved me because it's like it it definitely changes my whole sort of attitude for a day if i yeah. if i can't perform so yeah you get used to it well, and how cool to have the instant gratification process, really. Right? Like, I feel bad for writers sometimes. You know, like my wife, it's like she writes, spends months and months and months, and then you send it off to something, and you get these notes, and then it's like, if the notes aren't great, then yeah. it's like you don't, you can't just go up that next night 
no. and get good notes. You got to like, yeah. there's all this time that goes by and, you know, so yeah, yeah, to be able to go on stage and just go bing, 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 like that worked, that didn't work, that worked. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the best. Yeah, that's cool. Well, for people who want to know more about you, how can they find you? Uh, my website is, if you just go to andrewcomedy.com. Andrewcomedy.com. Uh, yeah, or andrewslater.com. But Slater can be difficult for people to spell. It's spelled S-L-E-I-G-H-T-E-R. So. It's German. Come on. I know, but it's people have problems, and so they they uh, so I so Andrew Comedy takes you to the same place, and uh, it's a redirect. Uh, then yeah, yeah, and then I have like you mentioned, my podcast is called The Cavalry, and I do it with my buddy Johnny Beaner. It's uh, every Monday, and then otherwise on online, it's everywhere. It's just at Andrew Slater. Right on at Andrew Slater. Yeah, but then they have to spell it. Then they have to spell it. So I, there's no Andrew comedy on there. So you think, think, I think sleigh, you know, like you're riding yeah. on a sleigh yeah. and then tur. I don't have anything that's, for that. That's great. Part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a visual. Yeah. Cool. Well, Andrew Slater, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. This was fun. I appreciate it. Uh, chatting with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Fearless Storyteller. As a reminder, any and all links can be found in the show notes. And if you're enjoying this podcast, will you please consider leaving a review? By doing so, you'll be helping new listeners discover The Fearless Storyteller podcast.